Rashad, can post over here? It's good to see you. This feels weird standing now. Um, yeah, I'm definitely a compulsive overeater. I am uh, generally like a compulsive person. I'm cross-addicted. Um, um, I To qualify, I came into this program at about 328 pounds. Um, I am of the sugar addict variety, uh, grazer variety, um, emotional eater variety. Basically, I like to feel full. Uh, I really like uh, related to what uh, the fellow just shared about um, his abstinence, the sugary recreational drinks or the recreational sugar and the the sweet drinks is definitely like one of my vices. Um, My abstinence is is the textbook definition of of what OA says abstinence is. you know, abstaining from compulsive overeating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. And um, I do have a food plan. I do three meals a day um, and two snacks. And I have a sponsor right now. I'm on uh, step nine in this program, my second time around the steps. And it's it's been a, an amazing journey. It's been an amazing journey. So... Um, I just spoke at Light a Candle recently, and it was a good share or whatever, and, um, or at least that's what I was told. Uh, <laughs> no ego here, right? Um, and for whatever reason, I was a little bit uh, more nervous for that one, and I like prepared uh, like what I was going to say, and a really lovely and respected long-timer named um, Leslie came up to me and, and said, great, great share, but next time don't use your notes. <laughs> so uh, today I didn't do that. I'm just going to shoot straight from the heart. I have a tendency to ramble and get kind of stuck in uh, what it was like, and I'm going to try my best not to do that. So I, today I just went through my normal routine, and my normal routine kind of includes reading um, for today. And ironically, the for today for me, um, I found to be really profound. So I'm going to read it if you guys don't mind. September 9th, minds like bodies will often fall into a pimpled, ill-conditioned state from mere excess of comfort. Charles Dickens, excess kills the very qualities I seek in anything, be it possessions, activities, or food. Compulsive overeating gives the illusion of comfort, but what begins as an attempt to fulfill unknit needs soon takes on a life of its own, demanding more and giving less in return. True comfort is found in the balance and sanity of abstinence. So deep and pure is the comfort, so deep and pure is this comfort that it is well worth whatever trouble or pain I might have to pass through to obtain it. For today, abstinence from compulsive overeating is a state of mind, not a diet. God grant me abstinence today, and if need be, the willingness to go to any lengths to get it. That's like deep. I don't really need to share anything else. That was it. Um, so, yeah, um, what it was like, I, I think I was born a compulsive overeater. My mom tells this story about how I was pretty aggressive during the breastfeeding phase of my life. Uh, and it's, it's funny. It's funny, but it's a, it's, it is a true story. And uh, apparently it was messy and people would come and watch and it was a spectacle. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I don't really remember that phase of my life, but <laughs> that, that's what I was told. 
But I do remember having an, an, a weird relationship with food at a very young age. I definitely struggled with uh, childhood obesity. I remember sometime around the age I was 10, I went to the doctor and I got my weigh in and, and all of a sudden like my weight became like a big deal. And um, hey, <laughs> there's a friend in the back that I didn't see earlier. Um, I just remember there was like a big focus on, on my weight at that point in time. And at that point, it, it was there was an initiative to like get me down. And I remember them telling me stories about how my brother was overweight and he used to run around in trash bags and like sweated the weight away. Or I don't, there was always this thing, this story about how my brother had the same issue and through exercise and whatever diet he was able to remedy that um, and so there was a lot of push to, to follow that suit um, skipping ahead I um, you know I guess pausing to really look at my childhood um, my childhood was messy it, it definitely there there's addiction in my family and a lot of different forms there's definitely compulsive overeating in my family um, there's multiple people that have weight loss surgery. Um, I grew up with a parent that was bulimic. Um, I didn't realize that's what it was until I came to OA. But um, you know, I have a, um, it's a, I have a grandfather that died from alcoholism. For me, it is a is a is a generational problem, and and I can see compulsive tendencies and behaviors and outright addiction in, in almost every member of my family. Um, what you guys have taught me, though, is that that's not exactly what makes me a compulsive overeater. <laughs> what makes me a, a compulsive overeater is the, the phenomenon of craving and, and the obsession of the mind and, and like the broken thinker. Where, where that came from, I don't know. It probably doesn't matter that much. The reality is, is that it, you know, I didn't ask for this. It's not my fault, but it's my it's my problem. Um, so just fast forwarding a little bit, um, my dad wasn't wasn't around as much, and I had created this narrative. I had I had adopted this hip hop, this kind of male black hip hop story about what the dad is, and and a lot of times what you hear in, in rap music is that the dad is absent and. I had kind of adopted that story. What the, the truth is that I just identified with certain elements of it. My father wasn't a part of, of my picture as much as I probably would have liked. Um, but he was around. My dad was always a phone call away. He's always helped me out when I asked for money. He didn't show up for my high school graduation or my, co my college graduation, but I had a father. I know who my father is. And so I always just kind of felt this, uh, this feeling of not good enough. Um, my mom was a travel agent, so she would travel, and I would get left at my grandmother's house in South Central a lot and uh, just have, like, a lot of free time. And, and I enjoyed going to my grandmother's house because she is a person that shows her love with food. <laughs> and, um, you know, so grandma would make the, like, cream of wheat for me or the banana nut pancakes. And uh, I had a great-grandmother that was alive, and I got to know her really, really well. And she was blind, and she also liked to show her love of food. So she would come up, uh, I would go up to her room, and she would offer me, like, Ritz crackers and, and uh, Luna Dune cookies. And yeah, it was weird because they were kind of, like, stale, but... <laughs> I still ate them, but uh, 
I just I enjoy that. I also the lack of supervision. What I would do is I would steal coins um, and I would go to the liquor store in the corner and buy the snack, the sugary and salty snacks and the sweet drinks. Um, but so you know, skipping forward uh, to high school, I um, there was this there was this personal fitness class that I was supposed to take as a as a sophomore, and I was um, really ashamed of my body and my and my physical condition, and I just like avoided it until I got to to be a senior in high school, and. My counselor called me in the office one day and she said, you know, you're not going to graduate unless you take this personal fitness class that you were supposed to take two years ago. And so I had to take this personal fitness class and I was in there with a bunch of kids that were younger than me. And so my solution to that was just to do the exercises. And I ended up losing through through that that class and some weird diet that my mom put me on that was like grapefruit and bacon. I don't <laughs> I'm showing my age a little bit. Um, you don't hear too much about the uh, the grapefruit and bacon from the younger folks. Um, but through that through that diet and, and through that class, I ended up losing a lot of weight. And the reason I always like to tell that piece of it, I really don't like to get too caught up in my childhood, but that piece of it is important because that's the first time that I noticed that people would treat me differently based on the way I look. And I spent the majority of the rest of my, you know, adolescence, teenage years, and college life, and into my adult life, chasing that feeling of trying to get that attention and that, and that validation. Um, and I struggled, you know, I struggled to get that. So I went to college, and you know, at college, at university, you have to figure out the school thing pretty quickly, right? I, I got an academic scholarship, and so it was important for me to maintain a certain GPA to keep the scholarship. And for whatever reason, the school thing, like, clicked for me. It was like, if I don't go to class, I'm not going to pass. I'm not going to get these grades that I need. But the food thing didn't click. And all of a sudden, it, it was just, there was nobody controlling my food. There was no filter. There was nobody monitoring or watching it. And... You know, basically, if I was hungry, I ate. If I saw food and I wanted it, I ate. And I gradually, you know, I got the freshman 15, I got the, another 30, and, you know, by the time I, I had graduated college, I remember this distinctively because my uncle came and asked me, um, he's like, how much do you weigh? He came to my graduation, he's like, how much do you weigh now? And I was like, 250? He was like, yeah, right. <laughs> And it was true, you know, I weighed like like probably um, like 280 or something at the time. But, you know, I the disease ended up, you know, really grabbing hold. I didn't know that it was disease, but basically what was happening at that time in my life because of the weight and I also didn't identify it, but I'm also a body obsessor. But what happened was basically I just got to the point where I didn't want to show up for life. I was too fat to show up for life. And, you know, I didn't know that at the time. You guys have taught me that vocabulary, but that's what was going on. And so I wouldn't show up for things. Like I didn't show up for my 21st birthday. Um, I stopped showing up for the relationship that I was in. I just became very reclusive. But I managed to graduate. And a lot of times people in this disease and, and other addictions, they... Uh, they are unable to achieve like certain milestones, right? Like I know somebody, it took them, you know, a fellow in this program, it took them 
seven, ten years to get their college degree because of the disease took hold and they kept dropping out of school. Well, for me, I was able to like get the achievements. I was able to get the good grades. I was able to maintain my scholarship. I was able to to, to take care of myself. And I was able, when I transitioned into my professional life, I was able to make a decent amount of money. And so, from you know the poor black kid that that's family is from South Central LA, when you're not begging your family for money and you graduate with an academic scholarship. Like people are like patting you on the back. And so what happened for me is I was able to hide behind the achievement. But all the while I was still kind of just like dying inside. And I was in Atlanta at this point in time for college and and, and I did a geographic. I, I kind of was like, oh, I need to get back to L.A. And so I did a geographic. I came back to L.A. and I went between L.A. and Orange County and you know, my whole life has really been about like getting the girl, getting the money, or getting my body to a certain point. And basically what happened was I got the money. I didn't need all three, though, right? I just needed really kind of one or the other. <laughs> um, if I had the girl, <laughs> if I had the girl, then it didn't matter, right? If the girl liked me, then it didn't matter how much money I had or what my body looked like. If I had the body, then I could get the girl. And if I had the money, then I could get both. <laughs> so that was like my plan, right? Just, just get one or the other. Um, and what happened was some of those things started to get come true. I never really lost the weight. Um, you know, if anything, I started to get the money. I got the girlfriend or whatever. And I dived deeper into my disease and... My life became very small, even with a girlfriend that I was living with. And it basically was just me, Papa John's pizza, Pepsi, frozen yogurt, donuts. Um, just that was my life. It was all about getting to the next meal or getting my next fix from my drug addiction and or or acting out sexually or spending um, you know, my life just really got small, and all it was was about me dulling whatever sense, whatever sense of not being good enough by excess. You know, what that for today took, talked about. And I basically blew up my life and dumped the girlfriend, did a transfer at my job, and just messed everything up. I don't know what happened to the money. I don't really remember. But all I know is I woke up and out of my stupor and I was in South Central L.A. sleeping on my grandmother's couch. And for me, that was the, the moment where it was like, what happened? <laughs> like, what happened? What is, what's going on? And so I, I got sober first because it was very obvious to me. or Actually, it was pointed out um, by Dr. Drew. I called Love Line. Um, <laughs> And uh, Dr. Drew, it was a kind of an intense conversation, but Dr. Drew was like, you know, basically I called Dr. Drew a love line. I was like, I have problems with, with, uh, with weed and, and sugar and sex and spending. He's like, it's all the same stuff. You have to treat it. It's all the same disease. You have to treat it all. And I was like, no, what, no. Well, my, my question is, what do I focus on first? And he didn't want to, he didn't really want to articulate one or the other, but eventually what he told me was, he's like, well, maybe if you stop smoking weed, you'll stop eating the sugar. And so 
I went and got sober first. Well, in that program, when I got feelings from putting down the, the ganja, they told me to go eat ice cream. <laughs> and so, and to go eat donuts and chocolate and um, literally go get some ice cream. So I ate a lot of chocolate, and I ate a lot of donuts, and I ate a lot of, uh, a lot of ice cream. And, um, you know, I heard a fellow that's also cross-addicted talk about some weird stuff with food one day. And I don't remember it for sure, but I think she was my introduction to uh, Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I think she said something in the meeting, and I went up to her afterwards and just said, I, I, I think I have some issues with food like that, and it was something to the effect of, you know, there's a program for that. It's called Overeaters Anonymous. Um, and it's so funny. You start to hear the stuff in these rooms, and like, it's like you can't unlearn what you've learned, right? <laughs> and so that, that right there was a spark for me that I'm, I... When you, when you embark upon the 12 steps and you're compulsive in any other way, it becomes very apparent. And I kept going to my sponsor in my, in my marijuana program and saying, you know, this food stuff. Mind, mind you, I came into that program at 300 pounds. I shot up to, to 30 pounds or 330 or three, whatever it was. I stopped weighing myself at a certain point. I shot up very quick. I, got, I felt myself getting bigger. And at that time, what I was doing, I was, I was basically just go to a meeting and then go eat in my car and pass out waiting for the next meeting to start. And I just got really painful and it didn't feel clean. It didn't feel sober. And I, and I said, look, this food stuff. And, and my, my recommendation for him was to complete my 12 steps in that program and then venture out. And I went to the doctor and they said I had sleep apnea. They said I was pre-diabetic. You know, a lot of at risk for heart disease. Um, and I came back and I said, you know, this stuff is really a problem. And he said, well, you have to focus on whatever's going to kill you first. And so at that point, I, that was enough. That's what gave me the courage to come to Overeaters Anonymous. And then I came in and I was like, oh, so there's a name for this. <laughs> I'm a compulsive overeater. I always kind of knew that I heard sugar addict before, but, was, you know, the vocabulary here was different and is new. And. I immediately knew I was in the right rooms, but I went to meetings on the west side where there's a lot of anorexia and bulimia and um, exercise bulimia, and those just aren't my particular forms of the disease. And so I knew, I heard enough to know that I was in the right rooms, but I had trouble relating. Awesome. I had trouble relating. And... So I kind of sat around for a little bit, but I had enough 12-step recovery to know that I needed to just find a sponsor to help guide me. And you guys told me to find what I was looking for. And so I came to this meeting once. I sat in the back. And uh, what I was looking for was a, was a black man who was a 100-pounder that looked like The Rock. <laughs> That's what I wanted. I wanted sanity around my food and stuff like that, but I really came in for the vanity. And I didn't find that. I never found the rock. The closest I found was Deanna. <laughs> but she was full. Um, 
But I ended up meeting a guy named Jeffrey S. in the cottage, and he spoke, and he had this serenity and this calm and this humility, and he talked about his wife and his kids, and for the first time, I realized that I really wanted something more than the vanity. And I started working with Jeffrey, and the first day we met, I told him, I was like, you know, I don't, I'm not anorexic, I'm not bulimic, I'm not a binger. I don't eat 10,000 calories in one meal. I just eat the wrong things too often or something. I don't know. I can't figure it out. Um, and he lovely told me, you know, Rashad, you're the size that you are for a reason. It's very clear that your body is getting too much food, you know, more food than it needs. And that day I went on a tear. <laughs> I definitely went on a binge that day. Uh, and it all ended in a, in a, dry, in a Popeye's drive through in South Central L.A., and there were rats, and there were homeless people, and there were prostitutes, and it was late, and it was just, it was a vile, dark place. Not a place for, for anybody, really, that's trying to live a healthy, sober lifestyle. And I, I waited in the drive through what seemed like forever, and I, I had to have those biscuits. And I pulled over. I couldn't even wait to get home. And I just ate those biscuits one after the other. I think it was like four or a half dozen. And like for the first time, it really sunk into me. It really dug in like powerlessness. And I had my step one kind of white light moment in that car in the ghetto. And the next morning I woke up and I was struck abstinent. And, you know, that was two years and, and some change ago. And... You know, it's been an amazing journey. You know, I I lost the weight. I got the girl. The material success came. Um, I live in abundance now. Um, You know, my life has, has turned out to be way better than I ever could have architected. You know, and it's funny, all those things that I had hoped and wished for have come true. But it wasn't necessarily from my from my work. Like I didn't do the heavy lifting, you know. Um, what I, all I really did was six, the only thing I did good was I just kept coming back. I just kept going to meetings. I kept being honest. I kept sharing my truth. I I listened to my sponsor when he gave me suggestions. Um, I did the steps. Right? I did the steps. And for me, the most profound step out of all of them is really, I don't talk about it enough, but like the, really the most profound step for me is just like step three. And I started to realize that I had to turn every aspect of my life over to the care of God. My job, my food, my drugs, my relationships, my spending, I had to just turn it all over. And that process of going through the steps and now going back through the steps again, it's just... I just keep doing this inside work, right? And all the outside stuff just keeps coming together. And, and I genuinely wake up happy, joyous, and free. A new peace, a new freedom. And it doesn't mean that it's comfortable. <laughs> it's not comfortable. I'm, uh, I'm living with my girlfriend right now for the first time, and it's she's one of us. <laughs> And um, it's like 
very uncomfortable at times, but it's so healthy. It's more healthy than I've ever experienced before. And I like she has a lot of recovery and I have a lot of recovery and it's sometimes we both just like pause and we're like, Look at us, look look at these <laughs> look at us. So if you're new, keep coming back. Um Overeaters Anonymous and, and people like you have saved my life. Literally saved my life. Thanks for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Questions? How do I deal with body image and body obsession? This is new. First of all, I don't know how to deal with anything. Right? I really don't. I really don't. That's humility for me is, is just being honest. I've been in program for over two years. I really don't know how to do food. I don't know how to do body image. I don't know how to. The only thing I know how to do is, is take direction from people that have more experience than me. Um, I didn't even know. So I lost most of my weight in year one. And... I didn't have I didn't have body image issues. When you're dropping massive amounts of weight, when um when you're dropping massive amounts of weight, you're like I'm good. <laughs> you're like I'm good. I don't. I just get 17 back. Um, I wasn't ups- I, I was happy. You know, I'm losing weight. I'm getting attention. So year two, when I, when the weight kind of uh, plateaued and and. You know, like when I look in the mirror and like I've gone to professionals and, and they say, oh, well, maybe you're at a healthy body weight. You no longer have sleep apnea or pre-diabetes. Maybe you're at a healthy body weight. Well, this isn't what I envisioned as a, as a healthy body weight. You know, I don't look like the rock. Um, and so I didn't even realize that I was dealing with body obsession and stuff like that. Thank you so much. I just kept going to rooms and, and being honest about what was going on with me, and, and I heard somebody else articulate something that made it click. And I, I don't, I don't have an easy cookie cutter solution. What, what I do is, is just remember that it's a that I, I have a broken thinker. That there's a program to help me out. I have a sponsor. I use the tools. You know what I mean? I, I, I leverage the fellowship to help me get through anything, including body obsession. So just try to be grateful for where I am, you know, and remember that I lost a lot of weight. <laughs> Thanks. Hey. Oh, thank you, Rashad. Wonderful. Wonderful share. Um, I was wondering um, how your Good question. Thank you. How has the program affected my family unit? Well, overall, I'm a much healthier person. And I say that with no ego. Um, I'm just a much healthier person, not in reference to everybody else, but just me, in reference to myself. 
And so in general, most of my relationships are better. But truth be told, I'm still learning how to connect with people on a real level um, with family. It's definitely I've had to distance myself from some some of my family members. I have a brother who um, still wants to treat me like a baby brother who still wants to treat me like the expert that lost that weight when we in 1980 something. And even when I was losing a bunch of weight, like, oh, you're doing so good. You got to start doing this constant commenting and um, you know you start to realize that when people when you're having these reactions with people or they start to say I don't know when people start being weird it probably has more to do with them than it has to do with you right and so I don't take any of it personal if, if boundaries get crossed I, I speak up for myself um, but it's just I mind my own business that's what the program has taught me to do, right? Mind my own business, work on my recovery, help others because that's a part of my recovery. Um, but, it, you know, it's weird. I'm, I'm, I can just see it, you know. That my my mom, is her birthday was recently, and she, you know, I just moved to this this new place, and it's really nice. And she's like, uh, I want to come over and have cake and ice cream. Like, you know that me and my girlfriend don't eat cake and ice cream. <laughs> but you're welcome to come over and hang out. Like, we'll get some fruit or something. But we don't eat cake and, <laughs> we don't eat cake and ice cream. But whatever, you know. And then my, my one thing that bothers me is that my brother keeps trying to talk about, trying to force his higher power on me. And I, I don't subscribe to any particular religion. I just believe in higher power. God for me is that Rashad is not God. And, uh, you know, my thing is more of like a universal thing, like a universal energy or whatever. And he goes to church and he's and we were talking about it one day. And, and, and you know, I was like, oh, you know, I don't I, I'm spiritual, but I don't really need to go to church or whatever, you know, but I, I'm glad that it works for you. And he's like, well, he's like, in my experience, people that don't want to go to church are not trying to turn their life over to God completely. And I go, well, you know, that's not my experience. And he goes, well, what's the name of your God? God. <laughs> true, true story. Thanks for the question. Thank you. Could you talk about your experience with steps six and seven? Step six and seven character defects. Uh, can I talk about my experience with steps six and seven character defects? The first time around. Um, so let me just say this when I'm thinking while I'm thinking about it. Um, Egomaniac with an inferiority complex, people-pleasing, perfectionism, um, and a whole slew of other character defects. But really, it stems from me having a lot of self-centered fear and trying to be perfect. You know, those are my particular patterns. I have all types of character defects, but the patterns all seem to stem from this this deep-rooted self-centered fear, fear of, um, that I'm not going to get what I want or fear that I'm going to lo- lose what I have. But my first time around, uh, step six and seven, I worked them out of um, Drop the Rock. And it was a very long process. I was so ready to be over with it. But... Um, you know, it all started when I turned over my fifth step and we had to write all those things, you know, like, oh, we had to write all these defects. And I was like, I don't know about this. 
Um, and I like, and of course we wrote down the assets as well, but I like couldn't focus on that. I was focused on the defects. Um, but my experience going, and the second time I did it out of the OA uh, 12 and 12 and then through the AA 12 and 12. Um, and my experience just going through 6 and 7 is I become very, very aware of how my character defects are, like how I'm acting out in that space. And I get uncomfortable and I like want to control it. And then at some point it re- I get reminded that it's like, oh, it's not you that, that removes the character defects. It's, it's, it's God, you know. And, and uh, my job is to take contrary action and, and just try my best and, and get really connected to God. And, yeah, that's my experience with six, six and seven. Thanks for the question. Thank you. Um, did you, um, you hang on to any resentment toward, like, the people who were treating you differently based on how your body looked? Did I have any resentments towards people that um, that treated me differently? Um, treated me differently when I lost the weight? Um, not really, to be honest. I had like a weird resentment towards the female gender. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't like me when I was big, then I'm going to not like you when I get slim type of thing. Um, but no, my... I don't know one thing that one thing so my biggest resentment really was was towards my father and my sponsor you know I had all these expectations and and that my father should explain what happened between my mom and my dad and and one day the first time around going through the steps my sponsor goes what if it's none of your business what happened between your mom and your dad before you were born or before you're too early to remember? What if it's really none of your business? And, and what if your part is holding on to whatever happened in the 1980s for, for two decades and that shattered the resentment? It just broke it apart. I was like, man, it took a, you know, it wasn't instantaneous, but it just shattered. And so. It's hard for me to have any other reason. Like, that was the, my black American dad's, you know, sad story. Once that got shattered, once that resentment was lifted, it's really, re- resentment is not something that I, I struggle with. And so when, when you ask that particular question, it, I, don't, I don't really have any resentment towards anybody that treated me differently when I was, it's normal, normal human behavior in America, I think. Um, thanks for the question. I'm going to sort of uh, ask a little bit about what you just touched on. Um, you shared about having gotten a certain narrative about your dad, you know, and maybe you know, other narratives that may or may not be based in reality. And just if you could talk about the process of you know, writing that stuff or letting it go and what sort of insights you yeah it's a good question um how the question is about like the narratives that I told myself and and how have I worked through that 
in the in the instance of my dad as well as um his other narratives that I created for myself. Um, you know, I don't have like a specific answer for that, except that. You know, it's like what's the what's the popular twelve step saying? Is like I spent my whole life thinking about myself and didn't know anything about myself until I came into a twelve step room and heard men and women, men and women speaking the truth. So I guess for me, the the there's probably still some narratives going on around, like you know, but. The dad story just recently clicked for me that, wow, um, there's some, I don't know why or how that exactly happened, but the narrative about my dad just really broke down for me. Not That came after I like dealt with the resentment towards him, but I still had the narrative that like he wasn't around. But I don't know, just being an adult and growing up and, and working the program and being more mature and like hearing other people speak the truth. Um, but it's still a struggle. You know, I have this narrative about my job that I'm a fraud and that I'm a hypocrite and I don't do as well as my peer and, and that one day I'm going to walk in and I'm going to get fired and like that I'm, that I'm on, I'm on the edge and, uh, my boss calls me in a room and, and tells me that she's going to give me $10,000 worth of equity in the company for my, for, for my, as an, as an appreciation for my efforts over the last 12 months. My, um, my job is just to keep coming back and to keep listening and to keep taking direction. And one thing that I know what, what I really get have trouble with, and I don't know if this is narrative or just straight up future tripping, but what will happen is I will get, I will start projecting negative energy into the, like, into the future. Like, this happened, so the rest of this is gonna go down like this, and it, this is gonna be bad, like, that, and I, and I'm, that's been happening a lot, and I've become so aware of it, but I instantly know that I'm in the disease when that, when that, when that's going on. I hope that answers the question. Uh, thanks for the question. What is my abstinence? Uh, abstaining from compulsive overeating, compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. What does that mean, really? Yeah. That's the question, right? What does that mean, really? I don't, I don't eat like I used to. <laughs> That's what it means. Um, so a normal day of eating for me in the past would have been waking up, going to Chick-fil-A, buying f- some sort of fried biscuit, chicken thing, hash browns, a sugary sweet drink, going to my job, which is in the tech space, and there's always free food, free candy, all the sugar uh, a sugar addict could want. So I would eat some sort of like munchy thing, you know, as soon as I got unfull from from the fast food breakfast, start to munch and graze on the snacky, salty, sweet things, go to lunch, to probably some fast or not necessarily fast food like a sit down but like usually like some type of Asian pasta high gluten type of thing after that salty snacky treats from the kitchen in the, in the, at the job 
some point, oh, job, this work is so stressful. So I got to walk down to Starbucks and get the, the warm fudge brownie and the sweet uh, caramel frappe. Then for dinner, I'm going to go to In-N-Out and I'm going to get a double-double animal style. I'm going to get a large root beer. And then once that wears off, I'm going to go to McDonald's and I'm going to get another caramel frappe type of thing. And then like cookies, you know, that's that's what the disease looks like for me, you know. It's not 10,000 calories in one meal. It's like, it's two, three days worth of calories all throughout the day, <laughs> every day, year over year. Um, today, my, my food looks a lot simpler. You know, I wake up, my girlfriend has uh, some food allergies, so um, I've adopted some of her food stuff you know but uh so like i eat like paleo bread with like an almond butter on, on it and, uh, and, and an apple uh and then for lunch it's usually some type of well-balanced i have a, a, a outside health nutritionist too but it's some type of well-balanced like protein veggies um and like a hopefully a healthy starch um, and then, it's, you know, I'll have a snack at some point during the day. Sometimes I go no snacks. Sometimes I go two snacks. Um, usually it's like some type of nuts or, um, or a, fr a piece of fruit. And then my meal, my dinner looks very similar to my lunch. But, you know, I guess that's more meal uh, food plan than abstinence. But my food plan is, is, is what helps me stay abstinent. Um, for me, like how, you know, a better question kind of becomes like, how do I know that I've broken my abstinence? One is I start engaging in my alcoholic foods. And my alcoholic foods are sugar. You know, sugar and salty, snacky chip things where it's like, I gotta dump the end of the bag to get the last little corner. <laughs> um, and if I ever feel weird about sending my food to my sponsor, I know that something's up with that food. So for me, the abstinence, there's no one food that will break my abstinence, even if I drink a Coke. You know, it's not. For me, what it's about is is the repetition, the repeated behavior. Um, what my abstinence has allowed me to do is just like when something's not off, I'm able to get off the hamster wheel and like course correct. And the way that I do that is I usually come to a meeting and talk about it. I, I picked up peanut butter. I was broke. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to eat like I did in college, peanut butter and ramen noodles and hot dogs. <laughs> and I started eating this peanut butter at work with apples. And, and it's just like, oh, I was like, damn, this peanut butter is good. I, I'll wrap, thank you, I'll wrap up and uh, the peanut butter was like calling my name so that day I went to a meeting shared about it like hey I don't know, I think I have something weird going on with peanut butter next day I went to work still ate it for breakfast and was like oh this is amazing and then at lunch I was like does anybody want this peanut butter <laughs> everybody's like <laughs> but that was like the last time I had an issue with, with peanut butter I think that's my time. Thanks for letting me share.